At some point in all of our lives, we learn that children think differently than adults. Have you figured that out yet? We have three children, five, four, and two, and they're just working on a different wavelength than we are. For example, uh, take for example this young boy who decided, well, do I want this cupcake or not? And so he sat there and started to decide, how am I going to make this decision? Well, this is the way children think. They're just going to sit there and try it out. And Jeremy's like, I'm going to try that next time I see a, next time I'm at a wedding reception. Now, I just feel bad for the person who gets that cupcake unknowingly later. This next child, he's in his first t-ball game and he hits a double. And he decides when he gets on second base, he's going to celebrate this way right here. When nature calls, nature calls. And we, we are reminded over and over again that children think a little bit differently than adults. And by the way, Jesus told us to be like children, didn't he? It's probably a good thing they do think differently than us. But there's another truth in the Bible for us to understand. It comes in Isaiah 55, verse 8. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So we don't think the same as him. In the same way that children don't think the same as adults, we're on different wavelengths. Sometimes we look to see what's going on around the world and we think, God, why would you ever let that happen? Why would you ever pick that person to do that? Why would you ever allow that circumstance to take place? But we just need to be reminded today, our ways are not his ways. Like a child and an adult think differently, so we think differently than our heavenly father. What's amazing about God to me is he not only wants to associate with us, he wants to use us on mission. Every single one of us, far too many people are going to stand before the creator God someday, and they're going to find out that he had something bigger in store for us. And we're going to stand in front of him and, and, and we're going to say, what? you had that for me? You wanted that out of me? You had that in place for me? And we're going to say, I didn't think I qualified. I didn't think I was worthy. I didn't think you would ever pick little old me. And he's going to say, I had a whole bunch in store for you. I not only wanted to associate with you, I wanted you to go on mission with me. If you have your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 3. If you don't, we have the verses up on screen. Don't worry about that. But he picks out 12 men to go on mission with Jesus that changes the trajectory of the world. An assignment of a lifetime. Now, just a little uh, commercial break. We often talk about head, heart, hands. This is a head, heart, hands church. If you would just do that with me, it's kind of fun. Head, heart, hands, head, heart, hands. Isn't that fun? Andrew, you like that? Head, heart, hands. I had to practice that a lot at home. Every now and then in our living room, Chelsea just sees me doing this. So I'm practicing for Sunday. Well, this is what that means. We not only want God's word to enter our heads, we want it to enter, enter our hearts. We not only want it to enter our hearts, we want it to get to our hands this is a hands passage, if I've ever seen one. So read along with me, Mark 3, beginning with verse 7. It's, it's a long passage. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. 
for he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. And Mark gives us six verses right there explaining the popularity and the success of Jesus at this particular time. But then he goes on to say in verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter later on. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanjeros, which means sons of thunder. Did you know that Jesus was a nicknamer? He liked to give nicknames. Sons of thunder, is that not a cool nickname? That sounds like a movie from the 80s, if you ask me. Sons, well, days, was there a Days of Thunder? There you go, that's why. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. I want to talk about a few different angles from this passage. The first one is answering this question. How did Jesus handle success? You ever talked about that? How did Jesus handle success? I am impressed by how he handled his popularity. He's about one and a half years into his ministry at this point. He's at the pinnacle of his success. He's at the pinnacle of his popularity. We see people coming from all over. This is before Facebook, before Twitter, before social media, before the internet. Word was getting around. They're traveling. Look at where they traveled from. Verse 8. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, which was a long ways away, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. You're basically putting your life on the line to travel that far in the desert. The Pharisees are getting jealous. Jesus' reviews on Yelp keep going higher and higher. He is successful in every sense of the word, and he handled his success with two things, prayer and sharing the limelight. Prayer and sharing the limelight. Look at verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Mark doesn't tell us why he went to the mountain, but Luke does. In Luke 6, verse 12, in the same story, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to do what? To pray. And how long did he pray? He spent the whole night praying to God. Have you ever prayed all night? Anybody? Got a few. I never have. There's no way I could make it through the night the way I shut down at about 10 o'clock. But do you know when I usually have my most most intense prayer times is when I hit rock bottom, when I have failed, when my back is against the floor and all I have is I I need you, God. That is when I go in my most intense prayer time. Rarely is it when I'm living in success. But Jesus, when everything was going right and the height of his popularity, he spends all night in prayer. I find that interesting. I've heard it said that you learn a lot about yourself when you fail. It's not how many times you fall down, but how many times you do what? Get back up. You've heard it. But I would add to that, you learn a lot about yourself when you succeed. I'll tell you, when things start going well in my life, I'm kind of like the woodpecker. Have you heard about the woodpecker? He goes up to the large oak tree. He starts banging away at the oak tree. There's little dents, little spots in the tree that he's making. And all of a sudden, a storm comes. Lightning comes down from heaven and strikes the big oak tree, splitting it in half. 
from the top to the bottom. And he backs off the tree, looks at it, leaves, comes back 10 minutes later with 12 friends, and he looks at that oak tree and says, see what I did? (laughs) I'm kind of like the woodpecker, unfortunately. The reason success can be spiritually damaging is because in those moments, pride tends to enter our hearts. I was listening to an interview this week by Coach Krzyzewski. He's the head coach of Duke basketball. Coach K, they call him. One of the most successful uh, college basketball coaches in the country. Won multiple championships. I think has the most wins out of any Division I coach, if I'm not mistaken. And he was being interviewed, and the reporter was asking him, how do you guys do it every single year? And he said, I teach my kids how to handle the demons of success. I never heard that. Not the demons of failure, the demons of success. And every year, they stay humble. They keep working hard. They're good every year. He talked about the demons of success. You know this. God has a way of knocking pride out of you, doesn't he? He does with me. You've heard the story of the small airplane 25,000 feet up in the air. There's only four passengers on the airplane, a doctor, a scientist, a preacher, and a boy scout and they run out of gas. And they look around, they say, hey, this is not good news because we only have three parachutes and there's four of us in here. And the doctor said, guys, I need one of those parachutes. I've been doing research on cancer. I'm close to finding the cure for cancer. The world needs me. I need one of those parachutes. And he grabbed one and he jumped out. The scientist looked at the other two and said, I'm one of the world's smartest men. I'm one of the most intelligent men in all the world. The world needs me. He grabbed one of the parachutes and jumped out. And that just left the minister and the Boy Scout. And the minister looked at the Boy Scout and said, son, you have your whole life ahead of you. I've lived most of my life. I've had a good one. How about you just take the last parachute? I'll go down with the plane. And the Boy Scout looked up at the preacher and said, don't worry about it, minister. We both get a parachute. The world's smartest man just grabbed my backpack whenever he jumped out. I like that story. Did you know one of the hardest persons to share the gospel with is somebody who everything's going right in life? I've discovered that over and over again. When the 401k is full, there's no financial problems, everybody in the family is getting along, and life is just peachy, it's one of the hardest people to penetrate their hearts for the sake of Christ. Why do I need God? Why do I need church? Why do I need the cross? Why do I need salvation? Everything in my life is going right already. So don't hear this wrongly. I hope you hear this lovingly. But if the only way to get your attention, if the only way to get your eyes on Jesus is if things start going bad in your life, I hope things start going bad in your life. It's that important to get your eyes on him. A healthy verse for all of us would be this, John 15, verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And now here it is. Apart from me, you can do... Apart from me, you can do... Nothing? Really? I'm doing a lot, Jesus. Nothing of eternal significance. Nothing that really matters for eternity. You can't do it apart from Jesus. If you're not a branch connected to the vine, the vine is Jesus, you can't do anything. I would say this. We all need to repeat these words. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Everybody together. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. That's a good truth to walk home with today. Apart from him, 
There's no eternal good that I can give this world. I need him every hour. Let me talk to this church for a second, which is a little weird because we're a brand new church. We don't even know really who's in our church sometimes. But let me talk to us. We are right on track with where we need to be as a church. You know, we came with nobody. We, I didn't know any of you before we came here last June. We didn't come with 300 people from another congregation. We weren't given $2 million from another congregation. If we would have had church June 29th, 2018, there would have been zero people in here. I would just be talking to my wife and kids. They would be in the children's area, so there would have been nothing going on out here. It would have been really awkward. But we're right on track, but this is what I wanna say. It doesn't matter if we start booming in terms of numerical growth. It doesn't matter if we don't. I want you to know this. God called this church to be here. A year ago, God knew that Venture Christian Church would be at this place at this time. But hear this. God did not call us to success. God did not call us here to big numbers. Now listen. Success in the world's eyes. You know what God called us here for? Obedience. God's call for us is for obedience. And if worldly success happens, then it happens. And if big numbers happen, then it happens, and we praise him. If it doesn't happen, we still praise him. Amen? But he called us to obedience. He's called you. What's God calling me to in my life? I'm lost. I don't know. Obedience. That's what he's called us all to. Romans 1, verse 5, through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. 2 John 1, 6, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. Jesus has a different definition of success, success than what we do. And then he goes on and shares the limelight. Notice verse 14. He chose 12 guys to carry on the ministry. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Now, I have trouble with this. Do you think those 12 guys preached as good as Jesus? No. Do you think they could answer all the spiritual questions that Jesus could? No. Do you think they had the spiritual discernment that Jesus had? No. Yet he gave them the keys to the car. Has any of you experienced giving the keys yet to your 16-year-old son or daughter? Anybody lived through that? Have, that? have that go internally for you. You are scared to death. You're a scared little puppy. And Jesus gives these guys the keys to the gospel. I want to point out a few truths about this. Notice who he did not pick. He didn't pick the rich and the famous. This is not lifestyles of the rich and the famous. Do you remember that show? You don't because you're more spiritual than me. But I remember that show. These men died penniless and in obscurity. Most of these guys were blue-collar, paycheck-to-paycheck type of guys, except for Matthew. Remember, Matthew was a tax collector. He thought nothing of throwing a party for everyone when he came to Christ, but he walked away from the money. About 15, 16 years ago, King Griffey Jr., one of the best baseball players of his generation, walked away from $40 million. Would you walk away from $40 million? Now, he still got paid $116 million, so don't feel bad for him. But he's in the middle of his career. He played at Seattle. He was deciding, where am I going to play next? And he chose Cincinnati, 
where he took a $40 million pay cut. But his dad was a coach for the Cincinnati Reds. And during an interview in front of national, this is what I remember about it. During national televised audience, King Griffey Jr. is asked by a reporter, why would you ever turn down $40 million? You never hear that, do you? And he pointed to the back of the room where his dad was holding his grandkid. And he said, that's why. I want my kid to grow up around his granddad. And he was teaching a national televised audience, there are things more important than money, isn't there? And I think we all need to be reminded of that from time to time. Matthew knew that. Matthew sensed that, and he followed Jesus. Notice he didn't, he didn't pick the, the rich. He didn't pick one religious leader. Everyone would think if God came to earth and picked an all-star team, he would have picked the Pharisees, the religious elite, everyone who everyone thought was holy. He didn't pick one of them. Which tells me if Jesus came today and picked 12 guys, he wouldn't go to the 12 largest churches, grab the 12 most famous preachers that are watched online, and go grab them and have an all-star team. He would grab people you had never heard of before. And he didn't pick based on compatibility. The diversity in this group is amazing. The political diversity. We have Democrats and Republicans in this group of 12. We do. It's like Bernie Sanders and Rush Limbaugh hanging out together for three years. Not going to happen. Or like Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Can you imagine them hanging out for three years together? One of them would probably be murdered (laughs) if we had to be truthful. And who are those two? Simon the Zealot was a political fanatic against Rome. Matthew had worked for Rome. And you can imagine how those two, but we have no idea in scripture that they ever didn't get along. So here it is. These guys got along not based on their political views, not based on their hobbies, not based on their vocation. Why did they have peace and unity? Because of their bond with Christ. Even us in here today, we are all different. We have different skin colors. There are some people in here who speak a different language than me. There are people in here who speak three languages. I don't even speak one full language yet. There are people in here with different hobbies, different vocations, different beliefs, but we still sing together, we laugh together, we hang out together, and we come together on the first day of the week, not because we have everything in common, but because of what we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? He is enough for unity and peace. What I love about Houston, Texas, according to the LA Times, it is the most diverse city in America. Did you know that? The most, I, I, if you don't like diversity, don't move to Houston. But we can go one step farther. If you don't like diversity, you won't like heaven. Revelation 7 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation. Most people in heaven will not be Americans. Sorry to bust the bubble. Most people will not be Americans. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. America's about diversity, but we sure don't get along sometimes. Have you, have you watched the news? Have you noticed there might be some discrimination issues in the history of our country and even in modern day America today? I've seen the government try to fix the problem. I appreciate them trying, but they can't. I've seen organizations try to fix the problem. I appreciate it, but they can't. The only way 
we will ever see each other through the eyes of Jesus is if we follow the lifestyle and teachings of Jesus. And he gives us here, when he picks 12 men to follow him, the diversity of the group. Here's who he picked. He picked 12 ordinary men. Everybody say that with me. Pick 12 ordinary men. Why 12? I don't know. There's a preacher for you. I don't know the answer to that. There were 12 tribes of Israel. There are going to be 12 gates getting into heaven, Revelation explains. 12 is a symbolic number in scripture, but I don't know why he didn't pick 50, why he didn't pick 100. He picked 12. Okay. But let's go through the list. Here's the list of the 12 guys that he picked. And by the way, Notice these are grouped in three different groups. There's a group of four, a group of four, and a group of four. And every time you see the list in scripture, Peter is mentioned first, Judas is last every single time. Now the others are mixed up. But Philip is always mentioned on the top of those four. And James is always mentioned on the top of those four, but the rest are mixed. So let's go through each one. You have Peter. He is the one who said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He gets praised the most by Jesus and also put down the most by Jesus. Jesus once said to him, get behind me, Satan. Would you like Jesus to call you Satan? That's a bad day. But he did it to Peter. He's the first one to preach a gospel sermon. He's the one who walked on water. He also denied Jesus three times before he went to the cross. You know Peter, mentioned more than any other apostle in scripture. The next one, is James, he is the first person to ever be killed because of his faith in Christ. The next one is John. A lot of scholars believe he was the youngest of all the disciples. He wrote the book of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He is the one who took care of Jesus' mother, Mary. When he's at the cross, Jesus said, this is your son, this is your mom, and John took care of Mary. He's also the longest living apostle. He lived to the late 90s probably. Next, you have Andrew, who's only mentioned three times in all the New Testament other than the lists. Every time we see Andrew in the New Testament, he is bringing somebody to Jesus every time. Pretty cool. Next, you have Philip, who apparently was the leader of that group. He was the pragmatic bottom line guy. He wanted to see the bottom of the spreadsheet. Are we in the black or are we in the red? He was that guy. Next, you have Bartholomew. He apparently had some prejudice issues because whenever he's introduced to Jesus, he's the one who says, can anybody, can anything good come out of Nazareth? (laughs) Can anything good come out of Cyprus or (laughs) Katy? You know, he's the one who said that. So he might've had some discrimination issues, yet he's still part of the team. Next, you have Matthew who probably gave up the most out of anybody. He walked away from a great luxurious job named Levi. He wrote the first book in your new Testament called Matthew. He's the writer of that. Next, you have Thomas. What's the nickname for Thomas? Anybody remember the nickname for Thomas? Doubting Thomas. I'm not going to believe it's Jesus is alive until I see the scars in his hands. And then Jesus walks in the door. Ta-da. Well, that's what I would have done. I would have went, ta-da. But there's a reason I'm not the son of God. There's a lot of reasons I'm not the son of God, actually. But he, he's, he's called, some people think he's from Missouri. The show me state. He was the show me disciple. Show me before I believe. Anyway, bad joke. I think it was pretty good. James. James was nicknamed. Remember, Jesus was a nicknamer. James the less. (laughs) What a kind nickname. 
People believe he was called James the Less because he was the shortest disciple. Well, we have two Jameses. How are we going to distinguish between the two? You're shorter, James the Less. Boy, he was encouraged that day. You have Thaddeus, whose real name is Judas. But he later changes it. And Luke, if you read the Luke account, he calls him Judas. But he later changed his name to Thaddeus. Why do you think he changed it from Judas? I don't think he wanted to be associated with that other guy, if you know what I'm talking about. We'll get to him in just a second. Then you have Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a group of people that were anti-Rome. They had developed a militia group that went against Rome. Remember, Matthew worked for Rome and collaborated with Rome. So he was the political activist. And then you have Judas Iscariot, always listed on the bottom. And many people say, well, whenever we think about Judas, we think he's dressed in dark clothes and he's kind of lurking around with a dark, sinister look on his face in the corner of the room. And everybody just assumes he looked like a bad guy. Actually, scholars say if anybody qualified to be a disciple of Jesus, it was probably Judas. If anybody had a resume worth giving to Jesus, it was probably this guy. He was put in charge of the money, which means Jesus and other people looked at him in a trustworthy way. And nobody would have figured that he was the guy to betray Jesus because at the Last Supper, Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me. And nobody said, I bet it's that guy in the back corner of the room with that dirty look on his face. No. Everybody said, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? They had no idea. So nobody would have looked at Judas in that way. So here's all that to say this. The great deceiver, Satan, has been selling us a lie for years and we've been buying it. And that is this. You're not worthy, you don't qualify, you are not good enough to be on mission for Jesus. And that is a lie from the devil. When you look at this group of men, 12 ordinary men, if he can use them, he can use us. Your past does not determine your future. I got an email this week from a preacher in the Midwest, Thursday morning, explaining to me he just doesn't feel qualified to lead his church. He said, who am I to lead this church? Well, God picked David when he was the runt of the litter. He picked Abraham when he was too old. He picked Jacob when he was dishonest. He picked Moses and he had a stutter. David had some immoral problems. He picked Peter even when he denied the Lord. How do any of these people qualify to work for Jesus? Well, here it is, Acts 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had done what? Okay, the qualification wasn't in them. The qualification was in Jesus. Jesus qualified them. They fell in love with their Savior. It wasn't what they knew about the Bible. They were unschooled. It wasn't that they were ultra-talented. They were ordinary. It's that they followed Jesus. So here's the sermon. God is not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability he's looking for Isaiah's when Isaiah says in Isaiah 6 God is talking to an angel he said who am I going to send Isaiah raised his hand and said here am I send me and by the way how does this all happen today I'll tell you how it happens because a whole bunch of people volunteer and says 
I'll pass the offering. I'll give communion. I'll set up first impressions. I'll work in the children's area. I'll bake bread. I'll help on the music. I'll do the soundboard. I'll do the computer. I'll make the coffee. I'll help with parking. Put my hands to the test. Not just head, not just heart, but my hands. It's a whole bunch of ordinary people working for Jesus and great things happen. Amen. People come to the Lord when we make ourselves available. Dale Carnegie said men are developed the same way that gold is mined. Several tons of dirt must be removed to get one ounce of gold. But you don't go into the mine looking for dirt. You go into the mine looking for gold. And everybody else sees 12 ordinary men. God sees gold. How many of you like coffee? No, 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 no. Put your hands back down. How many of you like Starbucks coffee? Hands are slowly going up. That would... How many of you are lying right now? And you, you just... Okay, I like Starbucks coffee. It's a bit expensive for me, but it is good. You know, coffee costs about 20 cents to make at home, right? <laughs> but it's good. I like Starbucks coffee. I go, there's one right here across from Hopper, I think. I've been there too many times. I like Starbucks. Do you know what the most expensive coffee in the world is? It's called Civet Coffee. It is sold for $500 per pound. Well, what makes it so expensive? What makes this coffee so special? Well, it's the cat. The Luwak cat is what makes the difference. This cat has a very picky appetite. It eats only the choicest, most perfectly matured coffee cherries, which it partially digests. It, the coffee beans travel through the animal's intestinal tract and are eventually evacuated. The hard bean is then collected, roasted, and brewed and served as the best coffee in the world. There's only about 5,000 pounds available each year to the entire world. The most expensive coffee in the world carries the nickname Dung Coffee. Ironically, the best coffee in the world is the waste product of a cat. And if God can do that with coffee, what do you think he can do with us? See the spiritual? See that? Boy, it sounded good when I wrote it. <laughs> Didn't sound the same when I said it. Okay. That's the sermon. That's the sermon. Hang with me. I want to give you one more tidbit about this passage that grabbed me late in the week. Who chose who? Did the disciples choose Jesus or did Jesus choose the disciples? Jesus chose them. Why is that a big deal? That had never happened before. Rabbis never chose disciples. You know what disciples did? They walked up to a rabbi and said, you're amazing. Here's my resume. Let's have an interview. Can I please follow you? Do you know what the rabbi usually said? He looked at the resume and said, nah, you don't qualify. Then Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 16, remember guys, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That was a big deal. Joseph Parker preacher of the city temple church in London was asked why did Jesus choose Judas he knew he was going to betray him and Parker replied I admit that's a mystery but there's an even greater mystery why did Jesus choose me there it is I'll close with this story Beth Stone tells it wonderfully of her little boy Samuel When he was three years old and the older girls had gone off to school in the fall, there was Samuel, she noticed, standing 
in the middle of the kitchen doing nothing. And so Beth did something that she'd never done before. She walked up to her three-year-old boy and she said, Samuel, stand still. And he stood still. And she said, I want you to imagine there are three-year-old boys lined up all throughout this kitchen. And some of them have dark hair, some of them have light hair, some of them have big noses, some of them have small noses, some of them are tall, some of them are short. Now, Samuel, out of all these three-year-old boys, which one do you think I would choose to be my son? And he kind of straightened up and he looked around the room, like, where are these three-year-old boys? But she said, Samuel, who should I pick to be my son? Should I pick that dark-haired boy? Should I pick the boy with the little nose? Should I pick the boy that's smiling on the end? Who should I pick to be my boy? And he straightened up again, and she kneels in front of Samuel and says, I choose the dark-haired boy with the big smile and brown eyes. I choose you, Samuel. And he said, Mama, why do you love me so much? She said, because you're a gift from God. Don't ever let anybody tell you different. You are part of this family. And maybe you need to hear that today. You are a gift. Fearfully and wonderfully made. God has great things in store for you. Don't settle for less. Don't let your past define your future. Don't let your ability define your availability Ephesians 1, 4, he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. He chose us. Let's pray. Father, what a great truth that we can learn today. I bet there's a lot of pain and hurt in this room this morning and a lot of questions. Who am I that you would use me? But you use those 12 guys who had a lot of mess ups and a lot of diversity and a lot of different opinions. If you can use them, you can use us. Father, use this church to reach people for Christ and to grow people in Christ and equip people for Christ. The church is your plan from the get go. And so use us, make us available. May we have a heart that is soft for the gospel. May we walk out of here today wanting to share that good news with everybody we know. Father, thank you for this group of people in the room today and their love for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.